So really do believe God is cheerleading everybody. He's cheerleading my friend in the Middle East as well as he has me. And he's been, he was cheerleading us when we were half drowning in the baptistry. And he was, he's cheerleading us now as we're trying to, to figure some things out or be at peace with ourselves and the world around us. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the new release today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Christian Music Archive podcast. Today I'm chatting with Andrew Greer, and you do not want to miss this exchange. We talked about the art of conversation, the importance of gratitude, and we took a deep dive into how we can be aware of God's presence. And I so enjoyed this conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. But before we dive in, I wanted to bring you up to speed on a little situation facing the Christian Music Archive. Hopefully you know that the Christian Music Archive is a web page that has been documenting the history of Christian music. I've documented nearly 2,000 artists and more than 10,000 albums. In addition to this podcast, we have credits of artists from the beginnings of the Jesus Movement through today. We also have our prayer ministry, where we are praying for the people who make the music we love. Plus, the site is also helping raise money to support Mercy, Inc. and the work they are doing around the world. Since 1999, the Christian Music Archive has been a real labor of love for me. But last month, I was notified that the content management system that runs the webpage is coming to an end of life. In the web world, that's like Windows XP is no longer being supported by Microsoft. What that means is that I have to update the system. And without going into a lot of the details, the switch is going to cost a lot of money. I mean, like $10,000 lots of money. <laughs> and for a project that I've paid for out of my own pocket for the last 20 years, that's a little bit overwhelming. Now, I tell you all of this not because I'm asking for money. Although, if you did want to support through Patreon.com, I wouldn't turn it down. But what I'm asking is that you'll join me in praying about the future of the archive and all the things that we do. Pray that as I seek God's will, I will know if this is God's way of saying the usefulness of this project is done. Or pray that I'll understand how to move forward and to keep doing this, if that's indeed what God wants. Pray for wisdom as we look into the future of the Christian Music Archive. I would really appreciate any prayer support that you could provide to help me understand what we're supposed to do in this journey. I have just received an email from Doug Hoffman, the Executive Director at Mercy, Inc. He has a weekly Zoom call with ministry leaders from around the world, and many of those countries are wrestling with the impact of the COVID virus. As you've no doubt heard, India has been especially hit hard with a variant that is causing extreme illness and many deaths. COVID is spreading rapidly and is viciously aggressive. Would you please join me in praying for Mercy, Inc. and their partners as they are trying to help in these countries that are desperately in crisis? Pray for the children of parents who die because of this disease. Pray that believers will remain strong as a witness to God's love and care, even as they suffer and die. 
and pray for the Mercy team as they feel so helpless in this situation. Thank you for supporting Mercy, Inc. through your prayers as they are the hands and feet of Jesus in some of these countries that have been devastated by the pandemic. For more information about the ongoing crisis relief that Mercy, Inc. is involved in, go to christianmusicarchive.com mercy. And thanks for your prayerful care. If you are tuning into today's podcast because of my guest, I'd really be interested in knowing how you got to know Andrew Greer. Maybe you have been listening to his music. He's been making it since 2009. Or maybe you recognize him from the TV show Dinner Conversations with Mark Lowry and Andrew Greer. Or quite possibly, it could be that you've read one of the books or articles that he's written. Or maybe you're a listener to his podcast with Patsy Claremont called Bridges. However you know Andrew, you no doubt realize how amazing he is. And when I got a chance to sit down and talk with Andrew, well, it just was something I had to jump at. And once we got started, it felt like two lifelong friends talking about the intricacies and complexities of life. Whatever the reason you are listening, I hope you enjoy our exchange as much as I did. So join me in welcoming to the Christian Music Archive podcast, Andrew Greer. Thank you very much, Dave. I'm thrilled to be here and be talking with you. Yeah, it's great to talk to a fellow interviewer. You have had a lot of interview experience with, uh, let's see, Dinner Conversations with Mark Lowry. Uh -huh. You've got your podcast going on with Patsy Claremont. You did a whole bunch of, and maybe you're still doing, the features on film for CCM Magazine. I mean, yeah. I should be taking lessons from you. No, <laughs> no. You know, I think the the key to any good interviewer is just an interest in people. You know, I mean, it's kind of that basic and, and an awareness of people uh, around you and what's going on in their lives and intrigue about that. But it's funny because I, I never really formally prepared to be an interviewer. I don't have formal training in journalism, even though I love writing and have done some of that. But one day I was talking to my dad I was kind of talking about the intrigue of how things had evolved into me doing more of that, doing more hosting, doing more interviewing. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm not surprised. And I said, really? And he said, no, he said, he said that he remembers when I was growing up, there'd be certain concerts. I, I loved music of all sorts. Mm -hmm. And so there would be certain concerts where maybe it what they weren't popular with my peers or friend group, or maybe I was younger and they had to take me, but my parents loved music. And so they would go with me. And he said, invariably you would find your way backstage or to the <laughs> green room or something, even in some like pretty difficult to get to situations. And he said, what was interesting is you would come back sometimes maybe haven't taken a photo with someone or whatever, but he said more likely than not, you came back uh, talking about the conversation y'all had, mm. that you had questions for them. And so I guess in his perspective, it wasn't really that, you know, that far of a cry that I would be doing that to some degree <laughs> for my living. So you know. Yeah. Well, and you look at your music too, and your music, a lot of it is collaboration with other people. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of looked at, at you as kind of more than a journalist or a musician, but more a, a conductor of conversation, kind of like Ooh. your dad has said, you know, facilitating different people and putting them together to make these conversations. So I, I like that picture. I like that conductor Greer. <laughs> I like that. Uh, some of that's probably because I'm a control freak, but you know, but pe people willingly come along, so you know that's their fault. But I think um, I think people are endlessly fascinating, and yes. I think anyone who knows me that to get to the bottom of me, well, that's impossible, and I think that's true of 
anyone else. And, and I really think that's part of our imagery of God, you know, mm. within us, because if God is truly infinite, we don't dial him in, yeah. you know, we continue to relate to him. We continue to learn more. We continue to see more layers stripped away as we know more. And sometimes to our great surprise, you know, mm -hmm. it's not always what we expected. And isn't that kind of what keeps us lingering with each other? Yeah. And I think also with God. Well, I think there's a real value in sitting down and listening to somebody's story, but more than listening, interacting. And yes. I think I think in this day and age right now, we don't do a lot of interacting. We do a lot of listening, and then you li and then now you listen to me. And well, yeah, listen, vomit, <laughs> listen, vomit. I think I think that's what you mean. Yeah, we've we've produced a bit of a, a cultural norm, which this is you know there may be positives to this as well as negatives. Uh, with everything, but where we do issue a lot of statements. And I say that because I don't think we're always trying to make this declarative thing, but when there's not an opportunity for crosstalk, when yeah. there's not an opportunity for a, a, a response, a real-time interaction and engagement like you're talking about, then it does become a little declarative. I mean, I have opinions, mm -hmm. but when I submit those to the conversation with another person or a group of people, then that opinion will most likely be shaped yeah uh, not maybe into something totally different but it will evolve my thinking will be challenged or tested in positive ways that by the time i leave the room i will have considered other perspectives outside of my own yeah and that then i think produces in us a generosity uh, a grace an ability to to allow people to be different and yet still see them as completely worthwhile and valuable. You know, that they don't have to come to my side of the fence, if you will, to be um, of a certain worth, you know? Do you think we've lost the art of truly listening? And I remember, I think in speech class or something, it was somebody was saying, you know, if you're listening, and but you're in your mind thinking, okay, I've got to have an answer already, rather than just being, okay, pour into me, and let's talk about the overflow of that pour. Have we lost the art of it? You know, I, I always err shy of that we've lost anything. You know, it's mm. more like, did we get distracted from the art of I it? Like or, or are we finding it a little more challenging to make space for the art of it? But yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Probably somewhere along the line, all of us have been taught that when we engage with another person, to truly listen means we're not thinking ahead. We're not mm, calculating right. their responses so that we can have our next question. Our questions truly come out of that line of conversation. And so even you want to take it back to being an interviewer and you know this too. So even you can have a line of questioning and certainly there are some people who are not as uh, talkative as others and, and you need to lean on that line of questioning, right? And so it's good to be prepared, but the magic of conversation is that for good conversationalists or people who are really interested in being engaged in that moment, one question will prompt an entire conversation yes. and could go in directions you never would have assumed or wondered. And it's very organic and it, it also tends, there tends to be something learned by it where if I end up going through an entire interview or conversation based on how I saw it would happen, I'm not really learning. Maybe someone else will learn something they didn't know, but that's based on what I know. Yeah. But if it goes somewhere that I didn't expect, I'm learning something. Well, I found my faith. I've, I've been doing this podcast for a year now, and it's been a whole blast. Uh, mm -hmm. I've found that my faith has been challenged and has I've grown with thoughts that I never would have come up on my own, you know, mm -hmm. just with that having space to listen and to go, 
hmm, hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the beauty of community too, right? Is we we prod each other forward. Community is meant so that we do spur each other on yeah. to new ideas, new thoughts, and and to new questions. You know, mm-hmm. so that I mean, that's kind of the when Mark Lowry and I first started talking about dinner conversations, and the idea was if we present these conversations kind of for you to view. So you're kind of an observer of them, but if we present those, maybe it will create within these people, new ideas, new thoughts, new questions that then they take home and they start those questions around their table. Like that's influence. What happens around our times of communion in safe spaces, which would a lot of times be our family or our close friends Mm -hmm. or whatever, then out of that can grow perspectives that, uh, in all, I think this is an all reality that can produce peace, you know, mm-hmm. that instead of waging war, we get to wage peace. And, and, and instead of being in constant conflict, not that conflict isn't normal, right. we're also in unity. Maybe what we have lost some of with our inability to listen as well as we used to, or as we could, then maybe we have lost a little bit of that perspective that produces grace and so togetherness is it's more difficult yeah yeah and 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 we need that togetherness more than ever now it's not like we never needed it before but i just think we've forgotten the importance of it i think maybe that's maybe that's the way to say it yeah and it and or have diminished its importance at Mm -hmm. times too i think it's possible for us to have a hand in that so togetherness is just by design you know what i mean i i like my alone time and I definitely find I I want to, you know, I love hiking and I love, I love doing that. I love taking people on great hikes. I find, but I often like to discover new ones on my own and kind of see what they have to offer. And it also gives me a chance to be in my head and, and, and in a safe environment. Cause I feel like when I'm working out with physical exertion, so I'm, I'm climbing these trails, it gives me, cause I'm kind of, I like productivity. So I don't necessarily love to sit and meditate or it's harder for me to sit and meditate. I hear you. But to take it on the trail, I can kind of be working out a couple things at a time. So I think that then produces in me a better, I think the design is to be together. And I think productive alone time or healthy alone time, which would be solitude, not isolation, Mm -hmm. allows us to be together in healthier ways. You know what I mean? So either it's we're together all the time. I don't want to address any of my issues. I don't want to be alone because I'll have to be with myself. Or I'm constantly with myself. I can't get out of my own head. I'm spiraling. Both of those things can cause, I think, a difficulty in relating to others and being healthy. But I think with some time spent alone and uh, the priority of being together, you know, that, that I mean, that's Jesus's life, right? <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, so often we, we look at the extremes either side, but really it's that amalgamation in the middle that's where health is. As in everything, right? Yeah, Balance exactly. is, true. you know, even you go to John, right? And, and what is Jesus? He's the perfect balance of grace and truth. Perfect balance has never described any one of us, but it, it does describe, <laughs> you know, Jesus. So, Well, yeah. we just kind of just jumped right in and went gangbusters and I love it. I love it. But uh, one of the questions <laughs> I wanted to ask and your, made it, your dad kind of prompted that is that you from an early age were going in. Do you remember the first quote unquote interview that you did, whether it was <laughs> organized or, or, or forced, forced backstage? Well, okay. That's a great question. I would, I think the first one would have been, um, CC Winans. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's a high bar. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, again, it was one of these very unintentional moments or, you know, not planned. But I was probably 11 and I grew up pretty rural in Texas. So we had to drive an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes two hours to to see the concerts we wanted to see. But I loved black gospel music even at a young age. And so Cece, there definitely was a draw. And plus she was also on on the radio and stuff. So she was like a very, she was kind of my entry point into black gospel because she was also CCM yep. and kind of mainstream too. She was everywhere. But anyway, so we went to a concert and I got to meet her afterwards. And I remember I went up to a meet her and I had a poster to get autographed or something. And she stood up mm. and she said, hi, I'm Cece. And I was like, I know who you are, you know, but, <laughs> and I just shook her hand and said, Hey, I'm Andrew. And you know what? Actually, she started asking me questions. Oh, wow. And she kind of said, how'd you enjoy tonight? But then uh, I told her I was a musician and I already played piano at the time. And we started talking about piano and all that stuff. So really maybe Cece taught me a little bit of the art of conversation, mm. but I will never forget that moment because one, my parents are so cool and that they were kind of standing in the wings, yeah. you know, just let me, that, that was not their moment. And, uh, and then to have the humility that was so, uh, evident within who I thought was such a superstar. And really yeah. she was, this was the mid nineties, you know, and, uh, I think taught me a lot of things, but it also gave me a lot of, um, appreciation for at the heart of it. CC was saying, I'm a musician and you're a musician mm. too. We have a lot we can relate on. Yeah. And maybe that's what taught me later. Cause some people would say, well, what would I ask these people? Or, you know, I've gotten to interview a couple of people that I'm really big fans of, mm -hmm. you know, that's a really cool honor. And, some people would say, well, what would I have to ask them, you know, beyond like, just tell them I like them the song. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, there's a, there's a wealth of things to ask them that I want to know. I want in their brain. But, um, but part of it's like that mutuality of, well, no, I bring something to the table too. There's mm. self-worth yeah. that comes into good conversation because it says we all legitimately have a place at the table. And I think the best of musicians uh, love collaboration and mm. they love conversation and they're all about it because music can't be done alone, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I look at that and hear your story as being a kid and, you know, forcing your way backstage or whatever. <laughs> um, but a lot of people look at their, maybe they have a vision of something they'd like to do or a dream or a goal, but they have in the back of their mind, oh, this will never work because blah, 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 blah. How would you recommend saying, you know, push past that and go for what you're passionate about. I mean, for you, it, it didn't sound like it was really even a thought for, with Cece. It was just, oh, I get to see Cece. And I'm... <laughs> but I'm, hey. sure, I'm sure you've had situations where it's like, well, that just didn't work out. What's caused you to say, I'm going to continue sure. doing that? I definitely have had situations where it didn't work out for sure. In a myriad of scenarios. I mean, if you list all the things like you were that I do in each of those scenarios, musician, podcaster, you know, TV host, uh, writer, in any of those scenarios, there have been a list of disappointments and there have been a growing list of, of um, cool things. You mm. know, I, I think one thing to do is be reflective first. You know, um, it, it's so easy. The grass is greener, the comparison mm, game. Yeah. You can find a Wikipedia on anybody and figure out that they did this by this age and they did, you know, half the times the birthdays aren't right. So whatever. <laughs> so it's easy to do that. And I think that's where I definitely think comparison is where a lot of our self doubt comes from. Mm. Um, 
I think I think that's right, or at least that's been true in my life. So to push past that can be the first thing, but to do that is to be reflective about um, even what are my goals. And so I may have dreams, but dreams are only hollow unless I understand some of my purpose and motivation mm. behind them. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that always has to be the purest thing. It could be that I want to have great financial success and I'm a, I think I have the talent to do that. Well, whatever. Yeah. Just be honest with yourself about what it is that, and then, then it's just a building block, you know, mm. because there's plenty of people. I remember Amy Grant saying one time that when she was getting in, in the middle of her heyday and she was getting so many calls uh, to come do like a guest vocal on something or would she be on a certain show or whatever. And she said she would kind of be in amazement when off getting off the phone and be like, what was there some kind of like bomb that destroyed all the female vocalists? I mean, <laughs> like I am not the greatest vocalist, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so all of us are neither the greatest or the worst. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. There's sometimes some good self-assessment that can say, you know what, this may not be the strength that's going to take me to there. Maybe this is. So flexibility for sure. But other than that, just I think it's pretty narcissistic to some degree. That may feel a little harsh to continue to wallow over your dreams. Mm. Um, I'd say get over yourself. Yeah. If you want, If you really desire and enjoy that, then take some time, take a little personal retreat if you can afford that for a day or two and start in a journal and build the building blocks. Okay, I'm here right now, but here's some things I would like to, where I'd like to be at and what what's the in-between. Yeah. And you know, the in-between is going to take you so many places you never even thought anyway. <laughs> right. So that's the, yep. so you don't have to worry about it going perfectly because it's going to, it's going to explode in your face in some really beautiful ways and some really hard faces. And that that's all part of the adventure. But I think overall, you know, my parents set the precedent for my brothers and I in that at the end of the day, it's pragmatic. If, if you have a certain skill set and you know that's feeding into a dream of yours, just back it out. Yeah. You, you know, how much do you need to make and to just live? And do I need to keep my expenses down so that I can struggle, quote unquote, a mm, little mm-hmm. bit to get there? Because I think some people also get into a mortgage too soon. Uh, they're culturally influenced to... You know, I didn't have a, a, a house note until a little later than some of my friends. You know why? Because I couldn't afford that liability. Yeah. You know, I would have had to eventually I would have worked my way into a job I didn't want to be in. Yeah. Instead, I decided to wait and work myself into the job I wanted to be in and let that provide the things that yeah. I needed at any given time. Well, and I've heard uh, from several artists that I've talked to that we are created in the image of God. God is a creative God. Ergo we are creative. And those thoughts and dreams that we have uh, in our minds, who says they weren't put there? Who says God isn't saying, this is something I want to nudge you towards and for you to set back and go, okay, now how can I get there? What are the, Mm -hmm. what are the obstacles I can remove? What are the obstacles I'll need to work around through that process you just described? I think that is absolutely part of what God puts dreams in our minds for. What, what is, where there's no vision, people perish, is the Bible says. Right. Yeah. Right. I think creativity is imperative. I think you have a, a brilliant point there. And indeed, I, I would agree with those statements that we were created in the image of a creative God. Therefore, we are creative. And a little creativity, which I think it's really easy to be lazy about creativity. Mm-hmm. And I say that even as a creative who's dri- very driven by creative efforts, <laughs> um, it can be very 
It takes some emotional energy. It takes some mental energy. It takes a little discipline. Creative Creativity is not exercised without discipline. So those are all the questions we have to ask ourselves. If why am I not being creative to do these things? And then we can get creative, like you said, with our finances. Yeah. Okay, this let's shift this around. And we can get creative with um, even where we live to some degree. Mm-hmm. Well, is the hotbed of, of, do you need to associate with a network of people, a community who are, who are knee deep in what you're wanting, you know, is it worth it? I think, I think we prize comfort many times over all things. And I'm speaking to myself here. So because I prize comfort, I'm just short of just shy of, of, of what I'd like. And, and the people who I admire the most that are, you know, not necessarily people I know, but maybe they're in some field or, have been very successful in that. But when you read through their bio, especially as they get older and there's more information to know, you realize they forfeited comfort above all because they really truly believed it wasn't just a dream that was to serve themselves. It was a dream Mm. that they believe served their communities around them. And at times the world around them. Well, if you have that kind of motivation, ain't nothing going to stop you from figuring that path out and continuing down that path. And then my counselor would also say to write down the things that you participated in this year, that you, mm. you were involved in and that you were able to produce that you would have peed in your pants about when you were 13, mm, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. and then make another column. And here's some things I still want to do. So it's both motivation and vision, because like you said, we die without it, but it's also a spirit of gratitude. Look at mm. these things that you would have stayed up all night dreaming in your head about, you know, yeah. when you were a kid. So sometimes we also forget that it's, you know, perspective is always a struggle, but gratitude will expand our perspective faster than anything. And it also allows me to be equally excited about all those things on the list of my peer as well, you know, because Uh, we, we share the, we share the, the treasure chest. It's not for one person. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm a big type a planner list maker myself and to, for, for me to be able to look back and say, oh, look at all the things I checked off, you know, that is a very rewarding mm-hmm. thing. And, and, and when some of those are seemingly insurmountable steps, and then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I did those. Now I may have had help, I may have, you know, whatever, but I still did those. And that's a, 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 a good affirmation that keep shooting for the moon. <laughs> yeah, what is it? absolutely. Keep, keep shooting for the moon because if you miss, the, miss that, you hit the stars, right? Yeah. You land among the stars. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you talked a little bit about the fact that really music was your was your first love and uh, listening to... How did you get started in music? Was that just something that was naturally coming out of you or did mom force you to take piano lessons? <laughs> <laughs> well, a little bit of both. Um, for me, music had a hold on me before I even took the inevitable piano lessons, you know? And so, um, my mom is a musician, um, an organist, uh, trained in the classical Mm -hmm. nature, but uh, has been in in church music for years. And so she, for my brother, I have two older brothers for the three of us. She started us just like she would in each, at one point she had some students and just like she would any other student as at seven years old or Mm -hmm. second grade, because second grade is when you could kind of independently, you were good to read your own assignments. Right. You know, she didn't want to hold anybody's hand. So she still doesn't want to hold anybody's <laughs> hand in that way. So anyway, but um, so at seven or second grade, whatever it was, 
uh, I started with the same books as everyone else. And apparently I don't, I don't totally recall every bit of this, but the piano was in our family room, which uh, its back was up against the wall. That was then on the other side of that was the kitchen. And mm. apparently my parents had to tell me to stop playing it. So, you know, at some point it was like, would you take a break? You know, <laughs> so uh, go to the Creek. We're, we're done with that for now, yeah. but I loved it so much. So practice came easy to me because uh, because I was old enough to be independent in my study to some degree, my mom just let me keep moving myself forward. Yeah. And then before long, I was finding like this was in the, I guess in the early nineties, uh, a lot, there were a lot of music folios for popular music you'd right. hear on the radio, whatever that would have the piano accompaniment to yeah. it. And I just started learning the accompaniment. And then I remember fourth grade, I was accompanying the fourth grade musical for the music teacher. Uh, you know, yeah. I just, I always had people who opened up spaces for me to keep growing in it. So piano, so music was my first love and piano is still my primary instrument, still where I feel most at home if I'm going to sit down with an instrument. But then that was fashioned by listening to records. I mean, mm. I just didn't stop listening to music, to yeah. tapes and then CDs and uh, Columbia House was my dream oh, yes, where yes. you could get, you know, 20 for a penny or whatever it was. What <laughs> happened to that? So I'd listened to a lot of music. My parents also saw that in me and then were very, very willing and open to take me to shows, mm -hmm. sometimes very far away if that until I got old enough that I started, my friends and I started going. So I just, every aspect of music. And then uh, even in church, growing up in church, music was my total language of connecting with God, mm -hmm. you know, like I still struggle to sit through even a 15 minute sermon. And I, <laughs> I don't think I'm easily bored, you know, yeah. but I, it's just not how I receive information the best. So music kind of engaged all my senses. And I felt like, um, I had a way to pray. I felt like I had a way to talk to God. I, I wonder without music for me, it's where friendship with God it just feels like where it always was, hmm. you know? It almost sounds like you're saying music is your native language. Yeah. I think. And English is kind of just, well, that's a side effect, but. Yeah. Yeah. It feels that way a lot of times. And, and I don't wonder if it doesn't feel that way for a lot of people. Um, sometimes I don't want, you know, I wonder sometimes if when we're communing with God in, in the way as it was designed one day, if, we won't be, I don't know, maybe we'll be singing to each other. I don't know. You yeah. know, it's just, it's, you look at the world around us and, and like you were talking about earlier, it's kind of challenging for us to be together right now and, and over the past year and a half for sure. Oh yeah. And yet music, you look around and it just, it brings the people together and yeah. it does. And language is not a barrier when it comes to yeah. music, you know? Yeah. So it makes you wonder, it makes you think, and it certainly was why it was such a draw on me and still is, you know. Well, and you know, the fact that music touches parts of your heart that visual or reading or hearing just spoken doesn't do. I was talking with Brian Dirksen and he was talking about the first time that he realized his songs were being sung in other languages and how moved he was to the fact that this was a message that God gave me in some cases very intimate, very personal. And yet that song carried that message around the world and it was being sung in underground churches in China uh, because it reached a way that a spoken word could not do. 
Mm-hmm. And I often tell people, you know, I can tell you Best Western's phone number because there is a jingle to it. You know, there's all this this stuff that music, I think it's like the capsule around a bitter pill, maybe, that makes it yeah. easy to swallow, that we can resonate with it and, and, and it's tolerable. And now I can listen to stuff. And how do I memorize scripture the best if it's got a tune to it? Yeah, that reminds me when you're talking about Brian. I was in Bulgaria and... I had been booked in all these different places by some missionaries over there. Mm-hmm. I remember this one church and I was playing and singing and sometimes in this kind of song that has a little bit of a rock to it, I, I'll stomp the floor pretty um, hard. And it was a wooden floor and I noticed it was hollow underneath there. It sounded hollow. And so I asked in between, of course, I had an interpreter who was helping with the, the storytelling. Sure. And I asked the, the audience, I said, you know, I think this is hollow. Is, is there something under here? And one of them responded who actually had attended that church a long time ago. A lot of them were from just all over the city, but said, yes, when we were in the kind of the trenches of communist rule, the way we worshiped was very much under control. Mm-hmm. We could come into some of these churches, but there was always police and all this stuff. And you couldn't say certain things. And you certainly couldn't baptize. And yeah. there wasn't freedom of expression in our worship. And so under, he said, underneath you is a baptistry. And he said, that's where we would come under the cover of night to baptize people who were still having visions and dreams. And, you know, the, 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 that, you know, God was not silent because communism was in control. You know, God is not silent in our world today just because uh, culture at large is, maybe not leaning towards Christianity, you know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't, doesn't silence God. And so it's, it was really cool to hear about that. But then I even translate that back to music. It's like, I would not have had that specific experience mm-hmm. and have that specific dialogue, which helped them remember where they had come from. Yeah. Cause some of them told me afterwards they had been feeling fairly despondent just in their own way of living in Bulgaria in that moment. And that reminded they have come a long way to be able to be in a concert where they could express themselves freely. And then for me coming from, you know, kind of the, the gateway to freedom that we, you know, have purported to be in America for so long, where we do take a lot of freedoms for granted, excluding, including our ability to worship as we choose, which still is intact. So then for me to remember that God is not quiet when we're not free. It's a reminder that we are always free, which if we're always free, then I can live without fear. And if I can live without fear, then I can eliminate all the freak out I've had over the past year, you know, and music helps us remember. Music gives us benchmarks and, and an anchor to remember the things we already know. Well, you've talked several times about your your spiritual background and the fact that you what you do is is growing out of your faith in Christ. Um, I love hearing people's testimonies about where Jesus became personal for them. I'm a missionary kid, preacher's kid, raised all my life. You know, this is what you're supposed to do. But it wasn't really until college or even a little bit after that that I realized, oh, this is a relationship between God and Dave. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was that experience for you? Well, it's an ongoing experience, Dave. Uh, definitely ongoing. I was just having lunch with a friend, talking about new things that we're learning and that I'm learning in my relationship with God. I was 
uh, around five or six when, uh, of course, grew up in the church. I had already been in church, you know, mm-hmm. since the nursery kind of thing. But I did have really great parents, and, and I was able to ask my dad. I do remember having asking my dad questions about what what kind of salvation meant because I went to a Baptist church in Texas, so we definitely threw around saved a lot. Yep. Um, so I asked him about those things, and I did make a profession of faith when I was six and was baptized with a, a really close friend of mine who made a profession of faith, you know, walked the aisle yeah. a, a couple weeks after me, and they asked us if we wanted to be baptized together. So that was the beginning of a, a more surface awareness, you know, an understanding that there was something to be saved from, that mm-hmm. there there's ongoing, you know, redemptive process happening in us. And, um, but it's hard to, to totally indicate where it first started. That's a mystery to me because I, again, I feel like I've been compelled towards Jesus. I, I don't know where that began. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the, the, the friend I was baptized with has gone through a, a pretty, pretty seismic shifts in his spirituality since then. We're in our late thirties now. So it's been 30 years since then, but he's gone through, you know, um, self-proclaimed atheist at some point agnostic uh is on a very spiritual path right now not sure where that leads him in in another country and so how is it that two people with similar upbringings and similar well our parents weren't exactly the same but still we have similar influences because we grew up in a smaller community similar decision points if you will and then yet seem I keep being drawn. We both had equal heartaches, you know, mm-hmm. I've been a part of all his weddings and uh, <laughs> so he's had heartache, you know, yeah. and uh, I've had very, very distinctive heartache and uh, in many ways, very private heartaches that would cause anyone to have to uh, think through who is God? Mm-hmm. Who am I? How does that all work out? What's the what's the shtick? You know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And yet, I'm completely drawn deeper and deeper into God, and I I don't know where He'll end up yet, but He's drawn in other directions. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. What that says to me, Dave, is and and I I think this is my I think I'm saying my testimony. I do think this is it. It's a lot more mysterious than I would. At, different times want to give it credit for because I like to be in control um, that we are drawn in by God. I am still a great, and this probably comes with me being a feeler and a musician and all that stuff. <laughs> I am still a great hoper in the redemption of all things. And I don't believe that that diminishes my relationship with God or Jesus, right. no matter how it works out. Right. Um, I just within me as a, as a cheerleader for all people and I don't believe that comes from some, I don't think I put that there, you know? Right. So really do believe God is cheerleading everybody. He's cheerleading my friend in the Middle East as well as he is me. And he's been, he was cheerleading us before we walked down the aisle. He was cheerleading us when we were half drowning in the baptistry. And he was, <laughs> he's cheerleading us now as we're trying to, to figure some things out or be at peace with ourselves and the world yeah. around us. So, you know, that's, so I, I never want my experience with God, this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, I don't think God's ending anytime soon. Mm. So I don't think I have it dialed in. I am convinced that Jesus is the reconciler 
you know, yeah. my relationship with God. I'm convinced in the, the divinity of Jesus. And some of those basic tenets of faith are my tenets of my faith. But as far as my experience, which I believe that's testimony more than anyone mm-hmm. can recite theology or doctrine, mm-hmm. but my experience is still ongoing. And so we'll see how it pans out. <laughs> well, well, let me let me ask this part of it then. Yeah. You, you said you're convinced. Mm-hmm. How did you become convinced? I mean, yeah. you know, I can be convinced that there's a state called Texas, but if I've never been there, <laughs> how do I prove that, you know? So how Oh, how, there's a bunch of Texans who'll prove it for you. <laughs> My wife is one of them. <laughs> uh, how do you how do you how did you become convinced that Jesus is the reconciler, that God is chasing you? Yeah. What does that look like? I don't know. Um that's a bit mysterious too, but there there have been benchmarks. I think whenever I've submitted myself, whenever I've offered myself up in the most humility I can muster to say, all right, God, who are you? What's the deal? Are you, are you, you know, all those honest questions. And I, I had a period of that in my early 20s, and I actually went out to Wyoming for a little stretch of time and did a lot of backpacking and hiking. And after just some real kind of poignant heartbreak, and that was my question is, I'm, or I, it was probably more of a statement. It was probably more mm-hmm. of a Facebook post to God. It was like, <laughs> you know, it was, I'm open, so whatever, yeah. you know, and it wasn't a passive whatever. It was just, all right. I'm open to receiving. I'm open to knowing more. Um, there were some very distinctive ways, and nature is a great draw on Absolutely. me too. Yeah. So there were some very distinctive ways in nature uh, that I could explain, and I won't for time's sake, that where the friendship of God, which I guess scripture has helped me identify that as Jesus, but the friendship of God was so palpable, mm-hmm. you know, and it was through, I mean, through stuff that would be so hippie-like, you know, <laughs> but it, but also very natural, just mm-hmm. natural earth stuff, you know. And I remember one, I'll tell you one experience. I remember one time this river I went to every day to just wade in. I just, it was uh, the beginning of summer at this point, And so the ice melt from the mountains was making the rivers really full and swollen and in some places really dangerous, but this one was really great. And it's coming down, it was really controlled, but it was just strong all day long. Everything yeah. was cold, right? So yeah. ice cold. And I would wait out there with my chacos and my shorts just to feel the water against my skin and my calves and just kind of feel some pressure from outside of me that felt like, okay, things work and move because yeah. nothing was working inside me at that point in time. And so I'd go out there every day and when, and then I'd usually like sit on this kind of pebbly little shore to dry off and stuff. And I'd just be thinking, and there was this deer that came out of the woods that was wounded. And I don't know from what, you know, um, and sat down, I mean, 10 feet from me Mm. and just, uh, just tended to its own wounds. And to me, I know that sounds all hippy dippy, but I was open, yeah, you know, and I was seeking and I feel like in very subtle ways, it's, you can browbeat someone with the Bible all day long and they're not going to, that is not going to express the friendship of God to yeah. that may over time, the Bible opened up on a willing lap may start to express um, and clarify yeah. some of who God is. 
but things like that um, can be very particular, yeah. very individual. So there were some things like that. And then some things that were more monumental and would be more easier for you and someone else to be like, oh yeah, that's A and B and connect. And it's not just, yeah. you know, my mind playing tricks on me. But um, then you go back to scripture, which I've always had a love for scripture, which I think par is a love for poetry and music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you see the prophecies and they are prophesying about um, this iteration of God, Jesus, who is, um, you know, wonderful counselor, all that. Mm-hmm. One one uh, translation even says master of wholeness. Oh, I love you that. Know? That's beautiful. Yeah. And then he talks about, you know, um, how identified man of sorrows, you know, um, a, a translation also translates man of sorrows as grief's patient friend. Right. You know, yeah. so those things then begin to go, oh, wait, this is resonating in places. Okay. What I felt when I was in this situation or scenario, when I was seeking God now resonates with some of what I'm seeing on the page. And it's, I guess, just a little too hard to deny at some point. Yeah. I've, I'm, I've never been a great denier. I've, I've not tried to like, I, I don't think it's that hard to believe in God to be really truthful. Now, I think you can believe in God for a lot of different reasons in a lot of different ways, but I don't think that's that hard. So maybe it was easier for me than it is someone else, you know? Well, you talk about the physical nature uh, of God's reaching out. And I have... Uh, part of my lament has been, God, if we're created in your image and touch is so important to me, why don't you touch me? And I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've shouted that at God sometimes. And I remember going through a very difficult period of time. I happened to be sitting in church and I was just bawling, Lord, I need you to touch me. And I had a warm wind come across me that I could not explain. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in my mind, it wasn't. It was a legitimate <laughs> wind. Now, truth be told, a couple of weeks later, I realized somebody had opened the church in the window, and it was a wind blowing <laughs> through the air, right? But, but that was a very real answer to God saying, "I hear uh-huh. you. You need that physical, personal touch." And now, almost every time I go to the beach and the wind's blowing, I just laugh because it's okay. God, you're touching me. You know, yeah, but yeah. sometimes it's those very personal experiences, like the deer tending its wound, just right there, that mm-hmm. touch us in ways that we would never be able to articulate. Yeah, and you know, I think the only requirement, if you will, for for experiencing those things is openness. So I mm-hmm. think sometimes when we're not as open, we're a little bit more cynical about those things in other people's lives. But if I'm open, I'm not cynical at all about the supernatural, you know? And yeah. I, my mom, who's extremely pragmatic in a lot of ways, she's also just really great and sweet. But I remember one time I was explaining to her, connecting some dots for the first time. And what I feel like was really a deliverance in this one moment from a, a, a very oppressive um, situation. And we didn't grow up charismatic or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, words like deliverance and oppressive were not, were, were not <laughs> right, spoken, right. but this is what, these were the de- real descriptors, you know? And I was explaining them to her later and she kind of said, she was like, well, yeah, don't you think there's a spiritual realm or whatever? I was like, well, yeah, I do. But I don't think about <laughs> you even like thinking about that. And, yeah. you know, and it, it, it's so practical in many ways that actually it takes more energy in my opinion, in my experience it takes more energy to defy or to deny or to resist um, our spiritual nature, which is our connection with God, um, 
it takes more to do that than it does to just receive it. Yeah. So I think that's why a lot of people are angsty sometimes when they're, or when I've been angsty before in my kind of, when I've been pushing God back is really what it is. It's mm -hmm. maybe me saying, well, he hasn't showed himself to me or he hasn't done this or that. But really that angst and stuff is just because I am not relaxing into receiving, you know, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, there's a place for everyone on the spectrum of belief. I mm -hmm. believe I hope that church is always a place. I'm, I'm kind of experiencing this right now of, of can church really be not just a fellowship of believers, but can it be an open table for everyone? And if not, maybe that's not church's design. Maybe church's design is for the fellowship of, of committed believers. Then what it, where do we, you know, spread out the table of God. Where do we, mm. mm -hmm. to make that available to everyone and, and to also press into that, to remember that I'm creating God's image. And so is he, and so mm -hmm. is she. And regardless of how I feel about anything political or cultural or whatever that, you know, he, she, him, they, whatever mm -hmm. is created in God's image and are on a journey, I believe, of relating to God. So it, it just takes the gavel out of my hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I let go of that gavel a long time ago, probably because I was hitting myself with it the most, but, and, yeah. and I was done being bruised and beat up by myself, but also I don't want, I don't even want an opportunity to beat up someone else. I just am not interested in it. And I don't think that the life we are called to as if we are followers of Jesus in any form or fashion. I cannot find it in scripture. I cannot be convinced of it on some kind of practical experiential nature that this works, that, that judgment is some kind of key mm -hmm. to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. It's just not. So I, um, yeah, I let go of that and it's made myself, I'm, I'm more peaceful with myself now too. Isn't that an interesting byproduct? You know? Well, and to take your statement a step further, there's the scripture and I'm, I'm terrible with references, but God is not wanting anyone to perish. perish. And we've all been built, like you said, in his image, and that image is to be in a relationship with him. And so, yeah, I'm I'm thinking that we as believers have done a real disservice to people around us by saying, you have to look and act like me because we probably don't look and act like God anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's... A that's a good thought. <laughs> well, I want to talk a little bit. I know we're running out of time, but I want to talk a little sure. bit about your new album. You've got a brand new okay. album out, uh, Tune My Heart 2. It's the second in a series, uh, Songs of Goodness and Love. And again, some really amazing uh, conducted, if I might say, <laughs> hymns. Uh, how did you come up with the choice of these specific songs for this specific collection? Yeah. Well, you know, Tune My Heart, the first one, which we didn't know would be the first of two necessarily, but it uh, it was really designed as kind of a specialty project um, for, um, for Christian music, essentially. And so I'd collected different artists and hymns and written some songs and some were instrumental and some sung. And, uh, you know, I'm all on all of them in some way and producing it, but it was this kind of Andrew and Friends thing. Well, we did that and we recorded it we kind of did the premise of it late in 2019, recorded it in January, 2020, set to release in March, you know, mid-March. Right. And then what happened then? Yep. <laughs> and then, yeah. And we had already wanted to theme it by piece, which is not some like unusual moniker to do a record under, but uh, it's just how we had thought about it. So every hymn or every song we wrote, everything was 
meant to, um, you know, theme peace. Well, that of course became really more poignant than it has mm -hmm. been in recent history, the search for peace or the, the ability to relax into peace when things are all a jumble. So then when we, that, that did well for us. And, and so when we decided let's do a second one, but we're coming into a different season, you yeah. know, everything's, everything's season null. So what should these songs reflect? You know, the first one was Tune My Heart, Songs of Rest and Reflection. This one is Tune My Heart 2, Songs of Goodness and Love. And the idea was just to paint a little bit more, a little bit more of a, um, to lift the chin a little bit, mm. you know, to what are songs that could be a lifter of the chin, raise the eyes, open your eyes, you know. And as we began to reconnect in public spaces and, and be more confident in our ability to be together, uh, the songs that we wanted to choose and some of the artists, even some of the artists that collaborate are more extroverted than the, mm. you have a lot of introverted artists like the Sandra McCrackens and Cindy right. Morgan and stuff on the first one. And on the second one, you've got Anthony Evans and Point of Grace and Buddy Green. It's kind of more extroverted. And we just wanted that tone, even in the instrumental and the Appalachia sounds of it to really let people enjoy the space they were in when they were listening. Mm, and a lot of yeah. people who, were familiar with the first one and then became familiar with the second one. We'd get notes and emails and messages on social media and stuff that were like, Oh my gosh, we didn't think it could be better. We love this one even better, which of course is always great for a sequel, yeah. but I think it's, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's actually, I don't know what's better or not. I think it's maybe just, hopefully that's a testimony to hitting the spaces that we're in. For every tear and every through the longest night and the deepest ache, down every wrong road, I have walked a few, but I have seen what love can do for every heart afraid to be.
a lot of people are drawn to the song What Love Can Do that Anthony Evans does and I wrote that with a guy named Joel Lindsay here well he's in California now but just a wonderful writer in, in Nashville and Christian music for years and years I, I was revisiting some songs in my files and was like hey Joel did we ever do anything with this one no and I said I really think Anthony could do this so it, it was in its own way handpicked for uh, Anthony and I just think he del he's got an incredible presence and and vocal and in my opinion really delivered that song and and if you're talking about like uh, with the theme of our conversation today in and out i think what love can do is a, a really beautiful thought when peace like a Andrew, I close every conversation that I have with uh, every Saturday. We send out a prayer newsletter asking folks to pray for the artists that are making the soundtrack of our lives. How can we specifically be praying for you in the weeks and months coming up ahead? Yeah, I think for um, maybe just spiritual groundedness. I'm, I'm going through a period of, of um, that's a very uh, gracious period, but of um, finding a, a community of fellowship that's closer to where I live now and but i have some feelings about um how i want to enter into a new fellowship and and of course we all have our list a laundry list of wants and that will never be satisfied <laughs> but so maybe just a, a, a continual openness to that and spiritual groundedness in it because i am a feeler like many artistic types and uh, it can be easy to get off base a little bit and that's okay i think but I, I really want this to be a season of kind of spiritual renewal, refreshment, and, and, and learn some more things, you know? I'd like to thank Andrew for chatting with us today. Usually when I wrap up a podcast, it's pretty simple for me to come up with a recap that highlights the important themes that we talked about. But today's a little bit tougher for me because there's just so much good stuff. Do I talk about the importance of gratitude and how being grateful expands our perspectives? 
Or maybe I should talk about how God speaks to us individually in unique and personal ways when we intentionally make space to spend time with him. Or maybe I should focus on the art of communication and how we haven't lost our ability to communicate, but maybe we've forgotten to hone those skills and use them in the community where we live. I could probably wax eloquently on any of those topics, or at least I think I could. But the thing that I keep coming back to is the phrase that uh, Andrew used, that God is cheerleading us. I've been very aware lately of people who are struggling to come up with how they understand God. I've personally been wrestling with some pretty big decisions around the future of this podcast and the website. My church has been trying to figure out what it means to be the body of Christ during a significant resurgence of the Delta variation of the COVID virus. All of these decisions and seeking and trying to understand, well, that's a lot of work. But the thing I keep coming back to is the fact that God wants to wrestle through this with us. He wants us to succeed in our relationship with him and with our neighbors, and he longs for us to be made whole and complete in him. I don't pretend to have all the answers. In fact, the further down life's journey I move, I realize I have fewer answers than I thought I did. But I can really take comfort in the words of Jesus in John 16. Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples and ascend to heaven, and he asks, Do you finally believe? The time is coming. Actually, it's here now when you will be scattered. But I'm not alone because the Father is with me. He goes on to say, I've told you all of this so that you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have tough and sorrowful times. But take heart, I've already overcome the world. (laughs) How's that for being a cheerleader? It's like Jesus is saying, you know, there's going to be some tough times ahead, but I'm right here with you. In fact, I've already beat the system and I know how to do this. So hang with me and we'll get through this together. I like the picture of Jesus as my cheerleader, wanting the best for me. I like knowing that Jesus is my comforter, encourager, and counselor. And maybe as we learn from God how he's our cheerleader, well, maybe we can be that kind of cheerleader to those in our community and the people around us. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website, christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>